is Delaware's early voting unconstitutional? Looks like that's going to be tried in court. Judge Jane Brady, she's been Superior Court Judge here in Delaware, also State Attorney General, now is chair of the Republican Party, and she, as an attorney, is representing, as I understand, a, uh, an election volunteer who says, look, uh, what you're doing right now is unconstitutional. Jane's on the phone right now. Thanks for being on, Jane. Well, thanks, Rick, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so... He's not a volunteer, though. Let me clarify this. Okay. He is actually compensated. He's actually compensated a paid uh, worker from the Department of Election who has served as an inspector, which is the highest-ranking individual of authority over the election site uh, in at least eight times, he says, in the past five or six years, but multiple times. And he um, has duties. He has to take an oath. Um, that only people who are entitled to vote can vote. And um, he's um, was very concerned about, well, he heard me talking about the con concerns I had about the conflict between the statute and the Constitution. And he said, oh, I'm an inspector. That worries me, too, and uh, offered a volunteer to help us by being a plaintiff. Has to take an oath. How many inspectors uh, are there on yeah, average? they do. How, how, how many do we have? Each um, polling location. Each polling location is supposed to have a person in charge of the location, and that is the inspector. So if indeed um, this is not constitutional, I mean, they're not going to be held liable for violating the Constitution if they took an oath, are they? Well, he, he has asked, he wants the court to clarify what his duties are. What, what is the law on this? Because he, he agrees, uh, actually, with my position that... Uh, it's unconstitutional. Um, the only time that the Constitution provides you have to vote on Election Day um, at your polling location unless you have one of six reasons why you could should vote absentee. Early voting clearly on its face violates that because it's not voting on Election Day and it's not absentee voting. Yeah, so Secondly, for... Okay, I'm uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm just, well, I was just going to say that, you know, yes, uh, because we have a new statute that this year in the 2022 elections uh, will be the, the first, I guess, to include a formal early in-voting, I'm sorry, in, early in-person uh, voting window. And uh, That's correct. as I read this, the statute, it says early voting will take place at least 10 days before Election Day. So does that, how far can it, how far back can it go then? Well, let me explain too. The Constitution, by its terms and by court decision, only applies to general elections. So this does not affect the special election mm -hmm. being held on March fifth, and it does not affect primary elections. It only affects the general election because it's the Constitution, by its language, applies to the general election, and the Supreme Court has ruled that those provisions only apply to the general election. Now, there are statutory provisions that may apply to both the um, special election and the primary election, but not constitutional ones. Okay. So right now in the state of Delaware, is the Department of Elections looking at having 10 days of early voting or more? I think they've issued the dates, and I think it is 10 days out. I think they've issued the dates for the March 5th election uh -huh. already. 
Okay. And um, they are 10 days out. Okay. And tell us um, more about the Constitution and uh, okay. why you deem this to so, be uh, really illegal. Right. So uh, the Constitution clearly is the supreme law of Delaware law. Uh, the statutes have to comport to the Constitution. And if they don't, then the courts uh, should strike them down. And um, clearly, early voting does not, because it is not people voting on Election Day or with an excuse under the constitutional requirements for an absentee ballot. Um, the second category of voter uh, that we're challenging, voter status that we're challenging, is permanent absentee. Now, permanent absentee was something that was created by statute. Um, but if you look at why people can vote absentee, there are only six reasons. And it says in the Constitution that if you have one of those six reasons, that you may then cast a ballot at such election. It's a singular election and um, does not provide uh, for a permanent status in the Constitution. When you look at the reasons why people can vote absentee, they're out of town on work, they're on vacation, they're working, they're in the military and out of state, um, their health is poor. Those reasons are all transitional. They're temporary circumstances. Um, someone said, well, what if you're really sick and you stay sick? Well, you know, you could either get better or you could die, and I appreciate that. But either, either way, you would not be eligible to vote absentee. And so... I believe that the Constitution anticipates that people will seek to vote absentee at each election and certify that they meet the criteria to vote in that election as an absentee voter. And so we're challenging permanent absentee. What happened in 2020 when they mailed applications to everyone, they asked if you wanted to check to be permanent absentee. There are now... Uh, 23,962 people, I believe it is, on the permanent absentee rolls. Those people that are on the permanent absentee list will get a ballot without doing anything else. At what time? At what time of the year will they get a ballot? In in the spring, in the summer, whenever they request it? Any election. Any election. No, but but when will they... Let's say the the election is November 8th, and... um, they have permanent absentee. They'll issue it about 30. They, they usually send the absentee ballots out about 30 days before. Okay. They've already sent, for instance, for the March 5th election, they've already sent them. Okay? So they will send a ballot. once. Well, they have to fix the ballot. So it's certainly going to be after the primaries, right? They have to fix who who's on the ballot. So, But they will get mailed a ballot without doing anything else. Now, there are dead people on that list. There are people who have moved on that list. So those people are going to have ballots sent to their old address where they aren't anymore. And someone's going to be able to, if they wanted, they could vote that ballot and then go vote at the polls for themselves. Um, it's not a good idea, um, and it's not permitted under the Constitution. to send. And we never had this many. But when they, in 2020, sent those applications out to everybody who was registered to vote, mm-hmm. people signed up for permanent absentee. Now, I'm not opposed to absentee ballots. I'm not opposed to absentee voting. But what I am opposed to 
is not doing this right by the law. So this is more, this is a legal issue for me. And you know me, I'm a student of the law. I've studied the law in my life. Yes. And, and I believe that we need the court to clarify this. I believe these two provisions are clearly unconstitutional. Okay. You, so you've been a superior court judge. Um, and, and by the way, which court is okay. this going to? Chancery. Chancery. Okay. So, um, you, you look at an issue like this. And uh, yes. can you see any reason why uh, a judge would say, actually, it does not violate the Constitution? On early voting, I don't think there's any chance that a judge of Delaware would say that. On the permanent absentee, I'm not sure. Um, I think that they would not. I think they would agree with me. Um, but it is, um, you know, a little less certain i'm basing it on the language in the constitution a ballot at the at such election mm -hmm. um and the fact that the terms are transitory um so i believe that they will uh, but i can't can't guarantee it as much as i can the early voting one that's clearly not in compliance okay now this uh my guess is it's not going to go to court before the special election coming up in in march so what is the no, process that it will, and it doesn't apply, so that's okay. Right. So, uh, but Chancery has to agree to hear the case, and uh, and and then what's the process? Well, the uh, state, I, uh, the named parties are the state of Delaware Department of Elections and uh, Anthony Aubens, the commissioner. They'll have a chance. They'll they'll get served with the complaint. They'll give it to the deputy attorney general assigned to represent them. They'll file an answer. The court will schedule hearings and date scheduling order for motions and other things. And uh, we've asked that it be heard by a chancellor or vice chancellor um, because we want a resolution before the November election. The early voting only just took effect this past month. And so I've been working. I, I After I had these concerns, which, I, as I said, I wasn't even familiar with the permanent absentee laws until I got involved in the election. And after I looked at it, um, I went, I consulted some experts. I actually called um, Christian Adams at the um, uh, Public Interest Legal Foundation and spoke with him and another lawyer there, Noel Johnson. And we've been doing research and, and looking at legislative history and compiling data for the past eight or nine months, really, um, and then trying to figure out what, um, who we needed, what category, what kind of individual we might need as a plaintiff, because mm -hmm. you need standing to bring the action, and then what kind of harm they might suffer. And actually there's fines and even incarceration if you violate your oath <laughs> as an inspector or someone who works at the, at the polls. So, so um, there's clearly some harm if uh, he were to do something that was not in compliance with the law. By the way, that's um, got to be so kind of frightening it's, for, it's for inspectors. You know, just because of the fact that, yeah. just, you know, forget about the politics and everything, but if you violate your oath, fines and potential jail time, even if you say, well, I'm following the rules, the statute was held down, uh, I'm sorry, the, the statute was passed down by the state of Delaware, so yeah. I'm following the rules. But, yeah, that really puts uh, an inspector in a really hard place there, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> he was kind of surprised to find out he had any risk at all. <laughs> Of course, he's a good person, and most of these people who, who work for the Department of Election are good people. They want to do the right thing. They want to help make things work well, 
right? I think Anthony Opens is a good person who wants things to work well. He's mm-hmm. doing what the law says, and I'm saying, you know what? We need to think about this because it's conflicting. So, and, um, so Jane, the more I got into it, the more I talked to the experts, the more I was convinced we needed to file. And Jane Brady, uh, chair of the Republican Party, uh, has been a Superior Court judge, also State Attorney General, uh, suing Department of Elections, State of Delaware, on behalf of Michael Manila, who's a, uh, was a, I guess maybe is, anyway, as a paid Department of Election employee who has served as an inspector, saying that the statute for early voting in Delaware is unconstitutional. Now, I guess if uh, if you win this case, and from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you've got a pretty good shot at winning this case, then it's just a simple matter of going to state legislature. They have to amend the Constitution, which I think takes uh, two different sessions uh, to achieve that, and they would do it that way. Is that is that correct? That's correct. So in That's doing correct. so, uh, mm-hmm. would they be... Uh, Hmm. You know, during the pandemic, we had these emergency orders for the early voting and such. Would they uh, yeah. would would they have a a constitutional reason or, or right to have a temporary uh, statute of having this you know permanent absentee voting in early elections if they're working towards doing this constitutionally or no? No. Yeah. No. No. And I think if the governor tried to declare another state of emergency, there would be mutiny in the state. Um, you know, we're, we've had enough of these emergency orders. Gotcha. All right, Jane. Well, good luck with this. I have another question for you. Well, thank you. We were, we were, no, really. I mean, so we were looking at what happened in Pennsylvania. And uh, hmm. I, I'm hoping you have an opinion on this as well, because it was quite stunning that, um, in in our opinion, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. sometimes. And it, it just seems, <laughs> from from what we read, that uh, what occurred with the governor and a favorable judge in extending the time people can turn in their mail-in ballots and, and vote, even if they're not yep. dated, they're not date-stamped, uh, seemed to be a violation of the state constitution. Because in the state of Pennsylvania, it's articulated quite clearly that Election rules and laws are determined by the General Assembly, not a judge and a governor who are both Democrats. I'd like to get your take on that. Well, that's absolutely right. And even the courts, I think, during the pandemic in Pennsylvania violated, uh, you know, did not rule properly. They they ruled that a, a statute could change the Constitution and it can't. Um, but, you know, the emergency powers that were so broad that were imposed um, that it gave <clears throat> it changed all our laws for a year in Delaware and uh, changed those up there. But, no, it is it is absolutely correct that only the legislature can change the law, not the bureaucrats, not the courts um, and not the executive it's something that just occurred to me in listening to you talk jane as chair of the republican party i know there were republicans who mm-hmm. uh made some noises about challenging governor carney in the state that's run by democrats the house is controlled by democrats senate the executive branch uh when they made some noises about challenging his authority to just renew the executive emergency orders over and over and over and over again in michigan mm-hmm. uh where republicans mm-hmm. have a say they actually got a friendly court decision saying yes uh, Governor Whitmer there has abused uh, her authority there uh, with emergency orders. Uh, to, to what extent did you Republicans really try to do that? 
So in this case, with the exception of the mass mandates that we haven't, I mean, the CDC gives some cover on that, right? Um, there's not been much that's continued beyond when we were prepared to start challenging it. The science is has been so, um, I don't want to use that word. Let me think of a better word here. <laughs> has been so... Fungible? Fungible? By the, oh, okay. <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the inconsistencies mm-hmm. um, and, and contradictions, and then you learn about the secretive information that they haven't shared and the misrepresentations that they've made about the science, it would be really hard, I think, uh, for the governor to justify by science any continued um, imposition of restrictions, with the exception of these darn masks in schools and on transportation. And I'm so upset with the CDC, who has just not been honest with us, well, well, Jane, my, my question, though, my question really goes to the Republican Party. Uh, there's been some letters. There's a letter mm-hmm. to the governor now. Okay. Ooh, scary letter to the governor. Oh, from the legislature. Yeah. Ooh, scary letter. You know, and, and, and some noises. Well, but I know they're working on a bill now, too. They're working on a bill, Rick, that would restrict, um, and they have uh, Democrat interests. So I told them early on, I said, look, I've talked to some Democrats who are very upset with the governor. He has not brought them into discussions about what's going on. He doesn't tell them how much, how much money they're getting and what they're doing with it. Um, they, they're upset. Um, and they hear from their constituents about the continuation of these emergency orders. Um, I think you have some support in the Democrats for some kind of restriction that involves the general assembly in the approval of any continu- continuation of these emergency powers. And they're hammering out right now, they're, they're in the process of hammering out a bipartisan agreement, I believe. So my question, my, was, my question to you, Chair, is this. Why, why is it over the last two years uh, the Republicans haven't been able to do this, even if uh, there might have been bipartisan support back then? What, what, why did they fail? Why not? Well, because the Democrats weren't weren't talking to the legislators. We had a proposal, we had a bill that was sponsored by Rich Collins and Bryant Richardson that would have restricted the governor's authority. It never got to the light of day because the Democrats control the process in the General Assembly. However, as time has gone on, Uh Democrats are talking to them and they are working on it now. All right. If it doesn't come out of uh, if it doesn't come out of someone's desk to go to committee and uh, and the floor for a vote, it doesn't go anywhere. Got it. All right. Uh, right. Yeah, they, they can only propose it. All right, Judge Jane Brady, thank you very, very much for spending time. I really appreciate this. Regarding the case of Michael Manila, Inspector, Department of Elections, challenging the uh, legitimacy, the legality of the statute for permanent absentee voting and uh, and early voting. Yes, Jane. Early voting. Yep. Thank you. All right. Uh, take care. Take care. All right. Uh, hang on. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Hang on. More with Rick Jensen is just ahead on 1150 AM, 1017 FM, WDEL.